Hey, what up? This is Shegs from ShegsAndStuff.com, and this week's blog post is titled, My Deepest Fear as a Parent, The Dad Chronicles. To find out more about this, please visit the blog at www.ShegsAndStuff.com, where through biblical teaching and encouragement, we remind you weekly that God not only loves you, but actually likes you. Enjoy. So for the longest time, I used to think, man, I would make a phenomenal parent one day. But then I became a dad. (laughs) Now, my boys actually like me, or in the words of my oldest son, you're the best dad out there out of all the daddies, dad. And I didn't even have to give him candy to say that, right? But, you know, if I'm being honest, though, I I think I I feel like I sometimes fail at the one job I'm supposed to be great at. Like only recently, uh, I had to drop off my son at school, and, and I'm dropping him off. Right, we pull into the parking lot and we're walking to go meet his teachers. Now, while the other children are walking quietly to class in an orderly fashion, my son challenges me to race him to the door. Now, rather than me being a grown-up dad, I put on my game face and I decided, you know what, it's time to show my four-year-old who the real boss is. And so I give him a head start and he starts running. And as soon as he starts running, I burst into full sprint trying to catch up with him, which I did right before he trips and falls full face into the pavement in front of his teachers and a dozen or so parents, all of who were probably justified in whatever evil thought was going in their minds about me at that moment. Well, after a visit to the nurse's office, which, let's be honest, man, that was really about that was really more like detention for me, right? Well, after that visit to the nurse's office that day, my son now wears a fading scar that reminds me that my actions have a lasting impact on those who come behind me. Now, I'm probably making a bigger deal out of this incident than I should because my son's minor boo-boo is nothing compared to the long-lasting emotional wounds that, that parents, whether intentionally or unintentionally, sometimes pass on to their children. It's not my intention for us to lay the blame of all of our problems on our parents, but the truth is many people today carry around wounds from childhood that till till this day is still shaping how they view themselves as adults and how they interact with other adults. It's actually known as father wounds or mother wounds. Whether it's the affirmation that they needed when, that they never received or it's, it was an unhealthy expression of, a, of affection that they received that they could have lived without, uh, many grown-ups are walking around today with old, ex, old exposed or untreated wounds. This, by the way, explains why you'll sometimes encounter people who seem to react disproportionately to what would seem like an otherwise innocent enough action or statement. It's reflecting that there's some deep wounds going on in their lives. So, what is my deepest fear as a parent? Well, it's it's that I'll it's the concern that I may end up passing on to my children some of my own unresolved emotional junk. And I was running this by an older friend of mine who also doubles as a mentor, and he shared with me an eye-opening insight and encouragement that actually helped put my fear in perspective. Now, before I actually share that story or what he told me to you, uh, permit me to tell you a quick story, a biblical story, um, that got me thinking about this. So a, a long time ago in the Middle East, biblical Middle East, there was a man named John. You know him as John the Baptist. And if you know anything about John, this dude had a knack for getting on people's nerves. I mean, John was 
powerfully anointed by God and on a mission from God to prepare the way for the Messiah. As a result, John had no qualms about calling people out on their sins. So in the gospel, we'll read of him calling out tax collectors and calling soldiers to stop acting like the mafia, right, my version, and he would call religious leaders a brood of vipers, which is pretty much the worst thing a prophet can call you. But John's sternest rebuke, however, was saved for the big boss, a king named Herod Antipas and his new wife Herodias. So along with a long list of devious scheming, the story goes that Herodias had been the wife of Herod's half-brother, Philip. And after an extended adulterous affair, both Herod and Herodias decided to separate from their spouses so they could marry each other. It was quite controversial. Well, eventually, news of this affair uh, reaches John the Baptist, and John, being John, speaks out against it, condemning publicly the marriage of this newlyweds. And in so doing, John ends up adding his name to Herodias' blacklist. Like, she nurses such a deep grudge against him that she wants him dead, but her husband doesn't want to execute him because he fears an uprising on account of John's popularity with the masses. And so wanting to silence John, and obviously silence his own conscience, Herod has John arrested and locked up in chains. Well, a little while after John's arrest, Herod throws a party at his lavish home, and all the nobility and brass in Galilee are in attendance. Now, as entertainment and perhaps as a gift, Herodias has her daughter from her first marriage dance for Herod. Jewish historian Josephus tells us that the daughter's name was Salome and that she would have been anywhere between 14 and 15 years old, maybe a little older, a little younger, but somewhere around there. Now, though the passage doesn't say it, many commentators would say, and I agree with this, that this dance was salacious in its nature, right? There was something inappropriate going on there between this young girl and these older men at this party. Like when you consider the atmosphere, the drunken atmosphere that this dance was being performed and Herod's own sexual tendencies, one can only assume that this 15-year-old's presence wasn't simply an innocent case of a proud stepdad admiring his stepdaughter's cute dance moves. Whatever the case may be, Herod was so pleased with her dance that he promises in front of all his guests with a public oath to give her whatever she wants. He even offers to split his kingdom in half and give it to her if she so requests. Now, I want you to pause here and think about this moment for a second. Think about the potential fortune that could just land, that, that's just about to land in this teenage girl's laps. Like Salome has just been offered an opportunity of a lifetime. Now, I agree with those people who say that, who point out in this verse that Herod's statement might have been spoken in a drunken state or perhaps even just as a figure of speech. Sure, that might, that might be possible, but there's still plenty of reason to believe that he would have honored a portion of whatever request Salome had made. Now, Salome, in the next verse, actually makes what seems to be a smart move. She consults her mom, right? That's a smart thing to do. Sounds like a smart move, right, so far. Herodias, in this moment, in this moment, has the opportunity, right, to 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 pass on to her daughter a, a legacy that could sustain her for years to come by suggesting something wise to request, perhaps even a small financial fortune that could last her. But remember that Herodias has been nursing a deep grudge, and people who nurse grudges and bitterness are not visionaries, and they can't see past their own spite. They only know how to pass on 
bitterness. And, and this, unfortunately, is going to result in a, in a tragic missed opportunity and a damning legacy for both her and her daughter. Because according to Mark chapter 6, which, by the way, is where all these events take place. According to Mark chapter 6, verse 24 to 25, it tells us that Herodias counsels her daughter to request for the head of John the Baptist. Did you catch that? In Mark 6, 24 to 25, mom just told her daughter to ask her stepdad to give her the chopped off head of a man that she, that's mom, despises. My heart sinks as I think of this request, which, by the way, the king reluctantly grants. Now, think about it for a second, because not only has mom just squandered whatever blessing her daughter could have inherited from the king, but Herodias has just passed on deep bitterness and grudge, not to mention murder, from one generation to the next. Like, what lessons do you think Salome, at a very young age, learned about men from this event? Like, how do you think she's going to approach men later in life when she really wants something for herself? If you've ever met a bitter, manipulative woman, or a man for that matter, who uses their sexuality as a deadly weapon, well, that's Salome. And you want to know what the sad part is about people who end up like this? And it's this, that, that their baggage oftentimes likely all started with an emotionally unhealthy or unavailable mom or dad. You know, Herod Herodias and Salome's story struck a chord with me, not because my son has ever requested for his classmate's head on a platter, but because it made me, it, it forced me to sort of be more attentive to the lessons in my life that my sons are picking up just from observing my life. You know, I mentioned earlier that my older friend and mentor shared with me some eye-opening encouragement. Here's what he said when I expressed my parenting fears about passing on my emotional junk to my children. He says this, he says, Oh, don't worry about that at all. Trust me, you will screw up your kids' lives. But then Jesus Jesus will redeem them. What you want to pray for is a minimization of the damage that you'll do. <laughs> you should have seen me when he said that my mouth was open. I mean, he had a way with words. But, you know, as we talked further, I really came to understand what he was getting at. And, and here's what he was getting at. He was basically saying that, listen, Chegs, it is virtually impossible to raise children without dropping the ball several times like like our children will see and 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 experience us at our best and and they will see us and experience us at our worst and and when two people live in such clo close proximity to one another however little they may be it is inevitable that our unresolved emotional junk will, will ooze but that's where jesus comes in right you see along with eternal life jesus in the scriptures, oftentimes is in the business of restoration, redeeming, redemption, putting things together that have been broken. Like, okay, so we think about Peter, right? The disciple Peter, he had a problem with his mouth. He always spoke out of turn, often spoke up when he should shut up. Yet Jesus said of this man with a loud mouth that upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And Christ entrusted the leadership of the church to him. So there's hope. Nathaniel, who was also one of the disciples, was prejudiced, who, before even meeting Jesus, talks about the fact that nothing good can come out of Nazareth. So he had some issues with them. Yet Jesus says of Nathaniel that here is a genuine son of Israel, a man with complete integrity, like Jesus saw beyond his junk. Mary Magdalene had seven demons. Talk about emotional unhealthiness. Yet Jesus expelled all of them out of her, and she never left his side and was rewarded with the privilege of being the first person to see the resurrection 
resurrected Christ on Easter Sunday. James and his brother John, also disciples, man, those dudes had some serious anger issues. Talk about dad wounds. I mean, so much so that Jesus actually nicknamed them Sons of Thunder. Yet Jesus called those guys to be part of his inner squad. And so listen, if you share my potentially unrealistic fear as a parent of messing my kids up, messing your kids up, my point here is this. There is hope for us parents. Like Jesus can undo any mess we create. He loves our children more than you and I will ever love them. So, so rather than us spending our time worrying about what we might get wrong with our kids, man, what if we made it our life mission to set our kids up for a successful future win by focusing, on, focusing in on bringing them to Jesus, introducing them to Jesus, and continually guiding them in their walk with Jesus? I once heard success defined not as the sum of all that you'll accomplish in this life, but as as, as success being what you leave behind and what people say about you when you're gone. So think about it for a moment. How rewarding would it be, long after you and I are boxed up in the earth, our kids stand up and say on our behalf, man, my dad had some issues, but you know what? He really loved Jesus, and he never failed to remind me that Jesus really loved me too. I really want to be like my dad, but mostly because he really wanted to be like Jesus, unresolved junk and all. How cool would that be? to hear them say that, right? Now that's an ending worth striving for, striving for as a parent. So fellow parents, moms, dads, put your worries aside and let's do this. God bless you. Have a great week. And please stop by the blog, www.shegsandstuff.com to find out more about what we do as we remind you weekly that God still likes you. Oh,